How many of you here would say that you care about missions? Okay, okay, we got a few hands. That's good. That's good. And I, what I mean by that is that you really care about it. You're actively thinking about it, and you know what your local church is doing to be involved in missions. So how many of you would say you fit into that category? A few less, a few less, and that's okay. That's okay. So let me tell you this. In 1854, a 19-year-old George Stott of Scotland suffered a knee injury that led to his left leg being amputated two years later. It was after this that he became a Christian and gave his life to God. Then 11 years later, in 1865, he heard that James Hudson Taylor was seeking missionaries to do pioneering work in China, and he responded. Taylor accepted him, and he sailed to China where he would worked in the China Inland Mission. When asked why Stott, being a one-legged man, wanted to venture out to China to do mission work, Stott replied, I do not see those with two legs going, so I must. So now who would say they cares about missions? <laughs> that statement, I do not see those with two legs going, so I must, that's something for us to think about as a hard-hitting statement. I mean, most of you had a verbal or, you know, you, you, you audibly reacted to that, like, oof, that hits me. I, I don't really like that. <laughs> That's, I don't know how I feel about that. Now, missions is something that all churches do. They're all involved in some capacity, but it's not always done well. I would say that just because a church has, as an entity, supports missions financially doesn't necessarily mean either that its members are missions-minded or that they understand it completely. We all have a call, as we heard in Scripture, that calls for all Christians to be on mission, or at the very least, a part of missions. I don't think that just because we give on a Sunday and a portion of that is given to missions that we can say our job is done and we can walk out of here fine and dandy. I believe that Scripture shows that missions is vital to the health of a church. And it's much more than just giving on a Sunday. I grew up in the Pentecostal Assemblies in Newfoundland, Labrador, and there we often heard of overseas missions and home missions. That's how they classified it, missions overseas and missions home here in the province. And I think that's a great way for us to look at it this morning. Because we look at what we're doing overseas, but we also need to be aware of what we're doing here at home. The reality is, and we're going to set the bar right from the start this morning, that we are all called to be involved in missions in some capacity. We cannot afford to not be involved or not care about missions. And this means that we need to know what missions is, why we should care about it, and the ultimate purpose of it. In his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, Mark Dever says, Missions is taking the gospel across boundaries, especially the boundary of language. Missions is evangelism in a place and among a whole people where it's largely unknown. That's his definition. So missions is bringing the gospel to all peoples across all the world. Our main text this morning is a very well-known passage of scripture. And if you want to, you can keep your Bibles open because I'm referring to numerous passages in this message. This is the Great Commission. This is the command that we have from Jesus at the end of his ministry here on earth that he gave his disciples and ultimately all believers. That we are to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them all to observe that Jesus commanded. 
That entails preaching the gospel, sharing the good news to those who don't know it. There's a lot here, but the first thing right away this morning that we need to take away from this is that we, all of us here in this room, are called to make disciples. Every single person here is called to make disciples. It's not to say that we're all called to missions overseas, because we're not all called to that. What we are called to do, however, is to make sure that happens. We are called to make sure that every nation hears the gospel, the good news of Christ. A single church can't be involved in every single missions across the world, in every single country. We just can't do it. But here at Calvary, we can be involved in South Africa by supporting the hunters and churchills. We can be involved in supporting and helping refugees, as we've heard and as we've done, to come to our country and become integrated here and help them. Missions isn't necessarily about spreading ourselves so thin that we're of no real good use to anyone, but focusing on parts of the world to make sure those souls know the gospel, that they come to faith. Mark Dever also makes a great observation about how we should go about missions, and he says this. He asks this question, is bigger and faster always better than smaller and slower? The main idea is that we're doing things intentionally and getting them right at a slower pace that rather than to try and replicate someone else's success and try to pop things up quick and say that we've done a good job. Let's take Model 1 Mission, for, example, for instance. I honestly wholeheartedly believe it is better for our city to have multiple churches throughout in local neighborhoods than it is for us to have one big megachurch. It's better to have small churches at a slower rate and to get it right, to know our neighborhoods, to know our people, to have something that's necessarily bigger and better. If we, it's better if we take our time and we work according to the culture that we find ourselves in and we get it right so that we don't mess things up. Our city has already seen so many failed church plants. This is not a fly-in, two years, pop-up of church, let's go on. No, this is an intentional effort to make disciples across our city. In Bible college, I did a number of missions courses. It was a big interest of mine. And a big part of that was understanding the culture. In one course, I had to pick a country, understand the culture, and my final paper was to write about how I would go about missions in that country. What things would change? What, what things could you keep the same? Because not everything has to change when you go into a foreign country. You see, cultures can celebrate, and they should celebrate, and follow Christ in a number of distinct ways. And as we look across even just our own province, we can see so many differences, so many different dialects. If you go around the bay, you'll, you might not understand half the people out there if you're from town. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, but we need to understand where we're going. Now, the majority of us aren't called to go overseas. Some of us are. And I want to say this morning that if you think God might be calling you to go overseas, don't overlook that. Don't assume he's not calling you to be involved elsewhere. Because we do need people who are willing to go overseas. And if that is you, then I encourage you to keep praying about it. Speak to your elders here at Calvary. And give God an ear. 
Listen to him. See, according to the Joshua Project, there are 7,414 unreached people groups in the world, and that means no access to the gospel. There are 1,124 minimally reached groups, which means few evangelicals, but a significant identity as Christian. And there are 1,812 superficially reached people groups in the world, meaning few evangelicals, but many people identify as Christian. Those are some quick stats about where the gospel lies in our world. We need people who are called to overseas missions just as much as we need people who are called here to be home. Now, for those of us at home, don't think we're off the hook either because all nations includes Canada, includes here, correct? You can interact with the preacher. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not going to bite. I'm a nice ways away. But all nations includes here and it includes Newfoundland and Labrador. It means we're actively making disciples wherever we find ourselves. See, some of us may have called to be overseas, but most of us have work to do here. And we can't ignore that fact. And I'm grateful for a church that supports missions, that supports the Churchills and the Hunters, that supports agencies like the Send Network and Acts 29 that we give to. But there's work to be done here. And it's not just through Mile Mission, it's through Calvary Baptist Church as well. We, as a local church, need to be making disciples. You see, discipleship can and should happen outside the walls of this church building, but it is never separate from a local church. It happens outside of these walls, but it's never separate from the local church. See, we are the local church. We, in this room, all the men and women here are Calvary Baptist Church. And it is our commission to go out and to make disciples. We, as a church, need to be doing discipleship, and we support discipleship. We support church planting in other nations and here in our own city, across the world. We need to be involved in this with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our local church. In part of our series, John Lewis also preached on discipleship. In his message, he said, I thought I could do it all on my own. If I read my Bible diligently, I would mature as a Christian. Sadly, that's not the case. Those were his words. And we can't make disciples outside of a local church. We need to be involved in that. We need to be coming alongside them, teaching them how to understand Scripture, how to apply Scripture, how to walk in a Spirit-filled life. We can't expect people to come in and get saved and just leave them to their own devices. We need to come alongside them as a body of brothers and sisters and build one another up. We can't be living life as blinders on, thinking that, you know, as long as I do my thing, I stay on this track, I don't need to worry about the people around me. That's not a Christian's life. That's not what we're called to do. And let's be honest, COVID has done a number on our society and world. It was so easy just to focus on ourselves. And for some of us, that was a real break. It was a rest. No busy schedules, no hectic after-school activities. You know, it, all of our schedules got cut. And a rest is not a bad thing, but too much rest is. It can make us complacent and self-centered. It becomes more about us, more about me, and not about serving and reaching the world with the gospel. See, the greatest mission of the church isn't to make each of us comfortable. It's not to put off amazing services or even have the best programs for our children. The mission of the church is to make disciples plant churches so that Jesus will be worshipped across the world. That's it. 
COVID gave us a lot of rest, but we need to keep working. The mission is not done. There are souls across this world, across nations, across languages, across borders, across our country, and across our city that are going to hell. And that's the reality of it. See, this isn't just a mission. It's the mission. And there are eternal stakes at risk for the people outside of our walls, for our neighbors, for people across this world. In the office, we're constantly asked, and it's a good thing, who do you disciple and who disciples you? So let me ask you, who do you disciple? And who disciples you? And if you don't know the answers to those questions, that's okay, but give it some real thought. Think that through. If you don't have anyone, then seek people out. Don't be afraid to go to someone who, thinks, who you think is maybe a more mature Christian than you are and ask them if they would enter into that type of relationship with you. To ask them, would you disciple me? Would you meet with me? Would you help me to know Jesus a bit better? And Titus 2 shows us, it works this out for us. It says, older men are to be dignified and self-controlled. Older women are to be reverent and not slanderers. And it says this, training and teaching younger men and women. That's what we need to be involved in. We need to be coming alongside each other and helping each other to seek Christ all the more. We are to show ourselves as a model of good works. We are to show integrity and dignity and sound speech and our teaching, living out our faith and everyday life. That's what it means to make disciples. In his book, Multiply, Francis Chan says, if you are going to make disciples... You need to be putting your faith into practice so that people around you can imitate your faith. You can't be living as if you don't believe in Jesus. You can't be living as if your faith is not that important to you. Seek out people you can disciple. And listen, that could be a new Christian here in Calvary or it could be someone on your street. It could be a coworker. It could be an atheist or an agnostic who has questions about what you believe. In order for us to be actively involved in missions, we need to be actively making disciples and sharing the gospel. We need to be planting churches so that we can have disciples throughout the city and the world. Mark Dever points out that the witness of the local church together is how Christ is revealed to the world. So when Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, what do the disciples do? He says they spend their whole lives evangelizing and planting churches. That is a normal pattern for how Christianity spreads. And when we had our Engage conference back in April, Matthew Spanler Davidson said, church planting isn't a mission of the church. It is the mission of the church. See, when we make disciples in an area, we start to build up a church. And when we start to build up a church, we start to raise up leadership in that church and establish elders there. We see that in Acts 14, verses 21 to 23. It says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and many to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They raised up elders for each of these church plants to lead, 
to help disciple them. And that's what we're doing as part of Model One Mission. It's not enough just to have disciples, because when you get disciples in the area, you start to build up a church, you need that leadership. You need godly men to lead them. And we should be compelled to make disciples wherever we find ourselves because of what Jesus has done for us. We sang so many amazing songs this morning of how great Jesus is, of what he's done for us. I don't believe we can be saved by grace through faith, not to be passionate enough to see people come to the same God that we believe in. According to Colossians 3, we are called to be kind, compassionate, humble, meek, patient, bearing with each other, and forgiving each other. This is Christian community and discipleship. This is how we make disciples. I know we can sit there sometimes and say, this isn't easy for me. This doesn't feel natural. Some of us are more extroverted and some of us are more introverted. If you know me and my wife, I'm actually the much more introverted one. But the God who formed you and who saved you will use you. Okay, he has made it that I'm actually the more evangel- evangelistic one between myself and Sabrina. People see her, she's a much more extrovert, more bubbly person, you know, always full of energy. And I just want time alone to read books. Like, that's, that's fine. <laughs> but I'm actually the more evangelistic one. So don't think just because you're not this extroverted person that you, you're not, you can't reach people. God's the one that made you. He's the one that saved you. He is going to use you. That came as a process in my life through discipleship, through men in my life who helped me to grow, understand Scripture more, who helped me understand Jesus, the Jesus I follow better. We need to trust in the God who created us to empower us for his witness. We are constantly being made more like Jesus, and what we might think is unnatural to us actually becomes more natural because we become more Christ-like mainly evangelism and discipleship. And we need to know disciples make disciples. We have to be involved actively in this. In Acts eleven nineteen, we see that the believers who were scattered because of persecution, because of the stoning of Stephen, began to preach the area to the other er- preach the gospel story to the other areas they were in. They didn't stop. They fled from their homes, but they kept preaching the gospel where they found themselves. The task was still before them. If you keep reading further in that chapter in Acts, 9, in Acts 11, you see that that's actually how the church in Antioch got started because they didn't give up on the work. See, we make disciples and ultimately plant churches so that Jesus will be worshipped. At the beginning of our passage this morning, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Jesus accepted their worship, which means that he could not have just been a good man, a good teacher or a prophet. He took their worship. He didn't correct them. He was and is God and deserves all worship and praise. And we need to see that right from the Old Testament, this was the plan from the beginning. This mission is nothing new, but it's come to the point where we are the ones that get to go out and tell the nations so that he will be praised. God has always intended to bring the nations to himself. The Old Testament says that he will be praised by the nations. He will be exalted by them. They will gather to worship him. 
starting with the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 22, 15 to 18. It says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gift of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. You see, Abraham's descendants, they were going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. They were to be a light to the people around them. And in Leviticus 19, we see that God commands Israel to treat the foreigner among them as if they were native-born, to not treat them differently. And to be honest, Newfoundlanders can probably learn a bit about that. Because often we'll say, if you're not born here, you're not, you're not from Newfoundland. You can live here for 40 years and we'll say, say, still say you're not Newfoundlander. <laughs> so it might be something we can look at. Along with that, Isaiah 49, 6 says, It is too light a thing, too light, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserve of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God planned this right from the beginning. And if God cares for the nations, for the foreigner, and for us, then we need to care about them too. We need to care about our neighbors. We need to care about those across our city and across the seas. Our God, the one we sang about, the one we worship, the one we confess our faith in is far too great, too awesome to not have the nations of the world praise him. Worship is the ultimate goal of missions that we are reconciled to God and we worship him because he is so worthy. Ephesians 2 breaks down how bleak of a situation it was for humanity saying that we were subject to this world we were children of wrath in an utterly hopeless situation. And then it says, but God. But God intervened because of his great mercy and love. He has made us alive in Jesus Christ. He has given us an inheritance in Jesus, none of which we deserve or have earned. He is worthy of worship across this earth. This earth. And this is why we're involved in missions, why we care for the refugees, why we want to plant churches, so that God will be worshipped. John, John Piper sorry, famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Now, let's look at other passages about the worship of God. Revelation 7, 9 to 10. After this I looked, and behold... A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Likewise, the book that we're encouraging to read this month, Daniel, in chapter 7, 14, says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages to serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
And again, we see it in Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His sister for his all of missions, the worship of God. This is why we actively seek to be involved in missions at home and overseas. And let me ask you this this morning. Does St. John's worship God? What about your neighbor? Do they worship God? What about our province, Newfoundland and Labrador? Does it worship God? Our country, Canada? South Africa? In a 2020 poll, it showed that only 6% of Canadians identified as evangelical two years ago. Our nation does not worship God. But yet he is worthy of our worship. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that the God we are here to worship, that we say we are here to worship, that we serve, do you believe that he is worship, worthy of the worship of nations, of your neighbor, of this city? Do you see and know his splendor? Do you, do you actively realize that he humbled himself, our God humbled himself to the point of a humiliating death on a cross, the death of a criminal, not only bearing our sin, but taking God's wrath that should have been on us? This is the God we worship. The God who loved us while we were still enemies, who saves us not because of anything we're done, but through simple faith, who gives us his righteousness. If he's not worthy of worship, then I don't know who is. See, missions is less about us and getting the right timing and more about realizing there are people who need to know him, people who need to be reconciled with him, 2 Corinthians 5 says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That we get to be the ones that go out and share this message to see people reconciled with the God who created them. It's not about whether we feel qualified, whether we feel like we have time, or even whether it's convenient for us. It's about the life and death, the eternal life and death of our neighbors. Those across the seas. The eternal life or eternal damnation for that man, woman, or child in a restricted access nation. It's about the souls in South Africa who may never have known Jesus outside of the work of missionaries and local churches there. And this task, it can seem insurmountable without Jesus, and it is without him. But we need to remember that we are equipped with the Holy Spirit for the purpose to make disciples so that God will receive glory. See, as Christians, we don't do this in our own power or authority. The main part of this passage, there's one word that's repeated so many times in this passage. It says that because Jesus has all authority, we are to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded, and he is with us always. Do you get that? 
that the one who has ultimate authority has given us this task, this mission, it doesn't rest on us. We show up through duty and we be faithful. And it's at the end here that Jesus is given far more authority than what Satan offered him in the desert. We are fortunate and blessed to see what it means to have Emmanuel, God, with us, for he is with us even to the end. We get to see that. We get to be a part of that. One commentator said the promise of God's presence often accompanied his call to service in the Old Testament. It is not so much a cozy reassurance as a necessary equipment for mission. We need to be actively involved in missions as a church, making disciples, planting churches under Jesus' authority, the ultimate authority, so that the world will worship him. In his book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, Tom Rayner says, Thriving churches have the Great Commission as a centerpiece for their vision, while dying churches have forgotten the clear command of Christ. And I believe that we are on the path to have the Great Commission at our center, but it's not a comfortable one. It is not comfortable to seek this out. See, looking to support missionaries across the world, sponsoring refugees, And planting churches is costly. It costs us financially. It costs us emotionally. It costs us physically. And it costs us our time. It's not the easiest path, but it's one that gives God the most glory. When Mark Birch was here from Northview, he gave us some hard stats of of the state of the church in Canada. See, we need churches to live out the Great Commission, to actually care about the people around them, to seek souls to be saved, disciples to be made, and the worship of God throughout the world. We need to have a big view of God and know what he's accomplished for us and know why he deserves not only our worship, but the worship of the nations. In that book, Tom Rainer also came across a common factor among members in churches that were dying. It said members of the dying churches really didn't want growth unless that growth met their preferences and allowed them to remain comfortable. During COVID, we closed our doors to be mindful of our communities. We wanted to have a good witness to them. But that by no means meant we were unable to pastor our people, preach the gospel, or meet the needs of people. We still cared for each other. We still checked in on each other. We prayed for each other regularly. But COVID also gave us a lot of me time. It meant I could engage with people on my terms. It meant I could do things when I wanted, how I wanted. I could take in church, but at the risk of being too known, I could sit there on my couch and watch it. Not great with two children, but I could. I didn't have to deal with anyone else's garbage, and they didn't have to deal with mine. We had our scald, as we would say. Except that's not the church and that's not missions. A healthy church after COVID is not focused on itself, but is a focus on others for their greatest good. To paraphrase a popular saying, ask not what the church can do for you, but ask what you can do for the church. How can you be involved? 
And before I finish this morning, let me ask you a couple questions. Who are you discipling? Are you discipling anyone inside or outside this church? Are you actively involved in people's lives? You can invite a longtime friend over to your house for coffee, or you can begin a new relationship. Actually care about the person. Get to know them. And if given the opportunity, share the gospel with them. Pray for them. Pray for opportunities to tell them about this faith, about this Jesus you serve. Question number two, how are you involved? Are you involved here at Calvary Baptist? Local churches are a key piece of how we make disciples. We are a family, members of the body of Christ. And we should be serving together to make disciples, anywhere from the children's ministry to tech ministry to music team, even to the trustees. We all have a role to play. And what's your motive for being involved here, for coming? Is it for your benefit? Check off a box, I went to church? Or is it for the benefit of others? Do we look to see how we can serve the people around us? It's often said that mission starts at home, and it does, and we need to check ourselves. Mission starts right here. Do you see the bigger picture of how you're involved at Calvary and how that fits in missions? How you can make opportunities serving as a trustee or in children's ministry or music team? How you can make disciples by coming along the younger generation, coming along a newer Christian and using those opportunities to grow with them, to teach them, to love on them. I believe in the vision we have for our city. Kilbride hasn't had a local church in over 100 years. Our downtown area has about 10,000 people with very little evangelical presence. Happy Valley Goose Bay is a replant of the only Baptist church in the community. And if you want to talk about community potential, my one trip there should open my eyes to how much potential there is to let people see the light of the gospel. This past week, I just did a podcast with a ministry down in Baltimore, much like ours, called One Hope. They're also model after 20 schemes and seeking to see neighborhood churches in their city. In the episode, he said that their, their home church is a neighborhood church and it's already made a difference because people walk in and say, there's something different here. There's actually people from the neighborhood here, and you all live around the area, and that's different. It stands out, and it's making an impact on their neighborhood. There's so much for us to do, but we need to focus on what God has called us to do. See, our mission isn't just to get a building, and I praise God and I thank Him that we have access to the building. It's a beautiful building, but it doesn't stop here with this building. We can't just get comfortable because we have arrived here now. There's so much more work to be done, not only in our city, but across the world. At the beginning, we told that story of the man who went to China even though he had one leg. And he said no one else was going. That shouldn't be the case. If we're all making disciples, if we're all doing what Jesus has commanded us to do, then that shouldn't be the case. So let me ask you, have you ever asked God how you can better serve him? Who will you can disciple and share the gospel with? Do you know him? And do you want others to know him? Do you want other people around you to know the God that you serve? A healthy church after COVID has members who are engaged, 
who serve together, who sacrifice together, and who make disciples together. That's missions overseas and at home. Mission starts right here. We are commanded to make disciples, commanded plant churches under Jesus' authority so that ultimately it will lead to his worship. Let's pray this morning. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you, O oh God, that you are such a big God. You're greater than us. You're greater than St. John's. You're greater than Canada. But, O oh Lord, you are the one in control. Father, may we have a desire to know you. May we have a desire to tell others about you. Or may we see the way that we can be engaged, that we can be involved here, O oh God, to care about the people around us, to care about their eternal state to get to know them, oh God. And Lord, I pray for our missionaries across the world. I pray for Bazad and his family, you bring them here safely. Oh Lord, that your work be done not only in St. John's, and I pray that it would, but across the nations, and ultimately, as your word says, oh God, we would see the worship of you, of all people, of all languages, of all tribes. I ask this in your name, Jesus.